Last time on the travel section of the podcast, we were talking about where it all started. We've had some really great initial feedback, people saying that they're going to love listening to this and they can't wait to hear what we've got to say. And some of the stories, a few people that have done some traveling as well, uh, got in contact to uh, say, yeah, the crazy <laughs> the crazy stories only happen when you're traveling. And uh, yeah, there's a couple of crazy s- stories coming up in this episode for sure. But just to say a massive thank you for the feedback. Uh, like I said, we, we are trialing this to see whether the property and the travel can blend. I'm sure it can because it shows our personality in, in what we do. But thank you for the feedback. Highly appreciated. So we're now in 2011. We are at Heathrow Airport. We have decided to fly out to Hong Kong. Now, hindsight's a wonderful thing. What I would say about 2011 or what we would both say about 2011 is that it was too planned. We didn't allow ourselves enough time in places in hindsight and it was too planned. It was, you know, we're going to arrive here at this time. We're going to spend a few days here. We're then going to go to this place and spend a couple of days there, we're, you know, and, and, and so on and so forth. We'd given ourselves six or seven weeks in Southeast Asia for, to get from Hong Kong, basically, to Bangkok in Thailand. And then from Bangkok to fly to Los Angeles. And from Los Angeles to New York, we'd given ourselves about five weeks. We were being as cost effective as possible. Really, the mentality at the time was the cheaper, the better, no matter what it was. How cheap can we get a flight? How cheap can we get a trip? How cheap can we get a sandwich? How cheap can we get a beer? It was all done on cost. The cheaper, the better. Didn't really think too much about time. And, and this is one of the massive mentality shifts you know, over the years. Time wasn't an issue. We're in a different place. We're out of our country. You know, Financial crisis and you know, all of that mumbo jumbo, everything's in, you know, in recovery stage or starting to recover. So bollocks, you know, let's not be in the country, let's fly out. So initially we flew out to uh, Hong Kong, uh, flew via Mumbai, quick stopover in Mumbai uh, with some overly frisky airport security. Um, you know, don't get me wrong, I don't mind the old crown jewels being poked around every now and then, uh, but not really by... Uh, overzealous Indian men. That's not the way I roll. That's all you need to know about Indian security at Mumbai Airport. But when we flew into Hong Kong, uh, it was about, I don't know, eight, nine o'clock in the morning. Uh, number one, jet lag uh, was kicking in for sure. But secondly, it, a complete world change. Uh, flying in and seeing the massive container ports, you know, all of these sorts of things. It was a bit of a culture shock, surprise, surprise. We spent the first four nights uh, in Hong Kong. The jet lag really completely caned us, uh, to be honest with you. I think we uh, spent about 18 hours having a sleep, uh, which kind of knocked us off our, our you know, tracks a little bit. But Hong Kong's a fascinating place. It really, really is. It, very difficult to describe 10 years on, but from memory, it, it was just absolutely brilliant. We saw loads of things, and you know, Bruce Lee statue, down at the front, Amnawar in the Kowloon district, heading up to the Lantau Island uh, with the big, the big, big Buddha that's on there, K- uh, taking cable cars on the way down. Uh, a fair play to Aaron on that. Uh, does suffer from vertigo, so yeah, anything to do with heights, fair play for him for doing it. It absolutely hammered down on, on the uh, by the big Buddha, uh, so much so that uh, I think it gave us a cold for about a week after that because we were ill-prepared, should we say, 
in terms of uh, footwear and clothing for that trip. Hong Kong at night was brilliant. We were lucky to have a few private tours. My friend uh, Gerald, who was at university, uh, lived in Hong Kong. So the minute he knew we were there, uh, you know, we were treated like royalty, having loads of hot pots, driving around to places that you know the average people wouldn't normally go. Got laughed at for trying to use chopsticks. Uh, whilst eating some Singapore fried rice, that was good fun. And it was a nice way to ease in. Uh, most of the signage, if not all the signage from memory is in uh, Cantonese and English. So you could kind of get used to things. We had about five five days, I believe, in Hong Kong. Uh, it, was just a, it was just a great experience. You know, not being in the UK, we're a long way from home. We're left to our own devices. Lonely Planet Guide with you, and even in 2021, yeah, even nowadays, a Lonely Planet Guide is fantastic. I know a lot's happened between then and now, and you know you can get easy access to the internet and you know through your phone and through apps, and it does make life a bit easier. Call me a bit old-fashioned, but having a good old Lonely Planet Guide, doing a good bit of reading, you follow the guide, kind of you know, read the guide, follow the guide, make your judgments, and, and you get chatting to people. You know, traveling will push you to get speaking to people, even if you're incredibly introverted. Uh, normally, a plethora of beer helps that. Uh, that's what I found over the years. Uh, beer definitely helps to get a conversation flowing, especially in hostel scenarios. It's very easy to turn up. So, how are you doing? Yeah, my name's Dave. I'm from Australia. I just fancy a beer. You're having a beer at the bar. You're chatting a lot of shit, and then you figure out what's going on. That's a traveling life. Hong Kong was Hong Kong, done a lot of walking. We started to get into the habit of wherever we went, we dropped the bags off and we went on a very long walk. Being overground, walking's a great way to see any place you're visiting. Uh, you know, it's flying through the air is quite straightforward. You have got subway systems in most places, underground systems. But sometimes, yeah, getting on, getting on your feet, having a very, very good walk it is a way to do it. We also decided that we wanted to try and fit in as much as possible culturally. So if you know people were eating, uh, you know, from street vendors, we'd eat at street vendors. If a restaurant was busy, you go into the restaurant and eat. You know, do what the locals do. Of course, in that neck of the woods, that part of the world, you're kind of sticking out like a sore thumb anyway, uh, because of the colour of your skin. Which in China, which was where we went next, uh, to Guangzhou. Apologies if that is pronounced incorrect. On Wonderful place on the Pearl River, incredible place, incredibly busy, about 14 million people at the time. The lights of the Pearl River were fantastic. It was drizzly, it was February. Again, we stuck out like sore thumbs and loads of people coming up to us wanting photos. I would guess that maybe the novelty of being white was quite entertaining, but also that uh, the locals just didn't really see white people that often. So happy to have photos taken. I'm not the tallest of people in the world, I'm five, seven and a bit. Um, but like the fact I was a couple of inches taller than most people uh, makes you feel like a giant. So that's always nice. But Grand Charles fantastic. Again, usual policy, walking around. Uh, saw loads of you know historical monuments, uh, going into you know, Buddhist temples. Just, just the submerging yourself into that culture was just incredible. Of course, 
grasp of Cantonese wasn't that good. So half the time we had no idea what we were ordering or why we were ordering it. And we were just pointing at stuff. I'm pretty sure we ended up eating some uh, incredibly bonkers things. However, uh, cannot beat a good plate of noodles. So yeah, if you're always unsure about the food, you know, look, look for, you know, some noodles, always very, very good. But in general, of all the crazy things that we ate and half of it, we don't actually remember or know what they were. Um, they were actually pretty nice, apart from something that I think was tripe uh, that we had. And that was pretty disgusting. And we even tried the milk and it wasn't contaminated. So happy days in Guangzhou. Nanning, we just popped, uh, we, we just stopped there. We took an overnight train and uh, we stopped in Nanning for a couple of nights. We knew that we were heading to Hanoi in Vietnam. And this is what I mean by we overplanned it. So we knew we were starting in Hong Kong. We knew that we were going to win in Bangkok and we pretty much planned every single stop uh, between the places. We didn't really allow for any flexibility at all. And sometimes, you know what it's like when you're traveling, you might read a lot about a particular place. You turn up, you realize it just hasn't got the vibe that you want. And you think, well, bollocks, I'm not going to stay here. I'm going to get a bus or whatever and move to the next place. We hadn't allowed that to happen. I mean, we didn't know any better, but we hadn't allowed that to happen at all. So we, if we got to a place and we thought, oh, this is a bit shit, uh, there wasn't really any options uh, for us because uh, we'd pretty much pre-booked everything. So when I say hindsight, you know, a bit more go of the flow would have been awesome. Not too much happened in Nanning, um, apart from the fact that the a pack of 20 cigarettes was 25 cents uh, and, you know, they burnt your throat without a shadow of a doubt. And we ended up drinking some complete random liqueurs uh, that we got from this, you know, what I can only describe as a local Chinese news agent. No idea what it was. Wasn't rice wine. Can definitely tell you that where one tasted like Goldschlager, I think, and the other one bollocks knows uh, what it was. But <laughs> we, we're staying at the hotel about two o'clock in the morning, a loud knock on the door. We thought uh, someone's a bit drunk, they've got the wrong door. Uh, about 10 seconds later, another loud knock on the door. We're a little bit intoxicated. Um, you know, Aaron's sort of opened the door up and there's this Chinese prostitute there. And she's looking at Aaron, Aaron's looking at her. I'm looking at the prostitute, I'm looking at Aaron. Now, we haven't ordered a prostitute. I will make that clear. We haven't ordered a prostitute. She's looking at us. We're looking at her. I kind of realized that we think she's got the wrong room. Uh, because we were uh, you know, under the influence as well, slightly, we were thinking, you know, you're thinking the worst. It's like, oh, hang on a minute. You know, if we, if we do anything with this woman or, you know, we're, we're rude to this woman in any way, you know, obviously there's a language barrier. You know, the triads might come out of nowhere and, you know, we might get carted off and, oh, you know, are we ever going to go home? All of these sorts of things were running through our head at the time. But very calmly, I think, you know, she kind of realised by looking at us that uh, we were not her clients. I think that was quite obvious, again, just by skin colour more than anything else. Uh, we quickly, 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 <laughs> quickly and politely closed the door on her uh, shitting ourselves for about 10 minutes. I think I ended up hiding in the bathroom, hoping that we weren't going to get a knock from some form of Chinese gangster. Um, thankfully, uh, that uh, situation was abated. Uh, we did have a laugh about it uh, in the morning, but yeah, incredibly strange, incredibly strange scenes there in Nanning. 
Well, which again was was an interesting place. Uh, rickshaw drivers were crazy. Most people were crazy. Uh, nice place to have a nice walk around. Apart from that, not really a lot there. Even the Lonely Planet at the time said not really a lot there. So we popped into Hanoi uh, the following day. Our border control was a piece of cake. Um, again, we pre-planned uh, most of the visas, so we knew when we were going um, and when we were coming back. We'd done research on visas. All I would say is when you're traveling around with visas, do your homework. At some places, it's at the time, it was a requirement to get it done beforehand, i.e. China um, and Vietnam, actually, from memory. At some other ones like Cambodia, Thailand, you could just turn up on the border, pay your fee, not an issue. Hanoi was a good experience. We went straight into a 12-bed hostel, which, you know, first time we'd done that, it makes you a bit nervous because you don't know who you're sharing a room with. You're automatically not really going to trust everyone. You've got all your goods on you. You've got your cash on you. You've got your wallet, you know, all of that. Are the lockers secure? What's going on? Again, we just went for cheapness. I think it's about $6 a night from memory. And the guys that were working behind the desk were awesome. Uh, we had a few beers, got roped into paying about $150 for a, um, a Halong Bay trip, which was absolutely incredible. And I'm pretty sure we spent a week getting shit-faced, absolutely shit-faced in Hanoi and Halong Bay. So much so that on the way home from a snake sanctuary, where we literally spent the day holding venomous snakes, eating snake, drinking snake's blood, uh, and also drinking snake venom. I kid you not, uh, the things that you do when you're young. Having a complete bonkers time, uh, we've been on the absolute lash and the minibus pulled up to uh, take us to an evening bar. Uh, the door promptly opened and I, yours truly, promptly fell face first onto the concrete. Uh, didn't do much damage. But, uh, yeah, that was when I got told to go home. And this is probably the first of the crazy ass stories about that prostitute where you think, Rob, what you're just about to tell me, I'm not going to believe you, but it genuinely this shit happen so completely out of it don't remember too much about it got told you know rob you need to go but you go back to the hostel go home you know you're not gonna get on well in this bar here you're twatted so aaron bless him uh flagged down a uh, not a taxi but a, a moto taxi uh we sat on the back and i remember that the journey back was quiet, but I was directing the wonderful moto taxi driver in Italian. I studied Italian at school. I was saying, you know, left, right, straight on, left, right, straight on. And lo and behold, we got back to the hostel in one piece. Still don't know to this day how that happened. Guarantee I was directing a Vietnamese moto taxi guy in Italian and completely out off my face and managed to get back to the hostel in one piece. We be in. Absolutely fantastic. Not going to forget that for a while. And the other thing not going to forget from Vietnam was weasel coffee. Now, if you're lucky to have had weasel coffee before, it is probably the strongest coffee I've ever had. Uh, give or take, there is another coffee that we have uh, in somewhere in South America that runs it quite close. But weasel coffee, weasels eat some coffee beans, some coffee produce. They basically poo the beans out 
and you make the coffee with the weasel poo. Sounds disgusting. I won't lie, there is a bit of an earthy effect uh, <laughs> to the taste of the coffee, but my word, this stuff is strong. As one day we had coffee about uh, three or four o'clock in the afternoon, and we were up to about three o'clock in the morning. No way were we getting to sleep. The caffeine hit was ginormous, absolutely ginormous, incredible stuff. I think you can get weasel coffee now in the UK, uh, especially if you go to Vietnamese restaurants. I'm pretty sure you can get it. I had one in London recently and again, blew our socks off and that was with milk. Incredible stuff. Halong Bay was awesome. I mean, it's difficult to describe that bay. I'm going to try not to be too ridiculously descriptive because I'm just going to keep saying incredible. I'm going to keep saying amazing. I'm going to run out of superlatives. And probably as a listener, you're going to get bored of it. Halong Bay was wonderful. Really, really was wonderful. It was serene. You look at communities that rely on, you know, just water-based transports like, a, you know, an Asian Venice, dare I say. Just a, a mesmerizing place. Hanoi was good fun because there was a massive lake in the middle of Hanoi and we saw uh, giant turtles. First time we've seen stuff like that. So you, you get a bit awestruck by seeing that. From Hanoi, we just worked our way down, uh, hit a couple of places at Da Nang. We stayed for a couple of days in a place called Da Nang. Hoi An, which was awesome. That is a lovely, quaint little place, is Hoi An. Got our tailor-made suits there. Um, both still got them to this day. And at the time, about $50, $60. Great tailoring. They still do them over there as well. So if you're ever in Hoi An, go and get yourself a suit. They will barter with you though. Um, I'm useless at bartering, Aaron done it for me. Happy days. And from there, we just kind of went, kind of went down south. We were meeting awesome people along the way. You know, you meet some people from your own country, you have a chat, you know, meet a lot of Aussies, a few French. You have, again, you just, you drink beer, you have food, you have a chat, you have a laugh. You find out where's good. You're always getting recommendations from people. Um, you know, it's always sad when, you know, you get on well with someone and, you know, they go their own way. That's life. All of that being said, on the overnight buses that we were taking and didn't really get much sleep because people are honking their horns all the time on Vietnamese roads. We ended up in Saigon or Ho Chi Minh City. And again, crazy place. Uh, and then this is going back 10 years. Loads of moto taxi, you know, loads of motorbikes people flying around corners. We did see an awesome thing that made us laugh. I'm not going to say, sit here and say, you know, Vietnamese is completely, you know, Vietnam, sorry, is completely communist, etc. <clears throat> they're quite strict over there, let's just say that. And there was a guy that was speeding down the road on his moped and the police officer went to stop him. The way that he stopped him was by getting his baton and smacking him straight on the back as he drove past. Lo and behold, the guy stopped, didn't fall off, fair play. Lo and behold, stopped. Uh, I think the police officer gave him some form of warning or ticket. Uh, and then the guy drove back off. Imagine that happening in the UK. There would be absolute outrage, absolute just craziness if that were to happen. Uh, we couldn't quite believe it at the time. Uh, followed by we were that startled about two minutes later we tried to cross the main road and because of all the the mopeds it was almost impossible 
I remember the Lonely Planet saying, when you're crossing roads in Vietnam, just have faith. If you start walking in the middle of the road, people will stop or people will find a way to go around you. <laughs> Thankfully, an old lady was looking at us uh, quite conspicuously, <laughs> basically grabbed both of us by the hand <laughs> and just walked us across uh, this main road. Uh, bless her. It was absolutely brilliant. And, and lo and behold, yeah, uh, traffic was just going around us. It's quite a, a, an interesting experience to, to say the least. Just, yeah, thank you to that lady because we're still here to tell the stories. It's probably got worse. I imagine there's been a lot more motorcycle, uh, motorcycles, motos on the road in Vietnam nowadays. But yeah, just get an old lady to help you cross the road. They know the law of the land. Let them crack on and do what they need to do. The, the final thing as we wrap up Vietnam, uh, we visited the uh, Coochie Tunnels, which are in and around the south area of Vietnam. Highly recommend it when you get the opportunity to do so. Uh, the Vietnamese are nimble people in the first place. But going into some of these tunnels and looking at the tunnel network was just absolutely bonkers. And, uh, you know, it doesn't matter what country I go to. I'm used to getting insulted in whatever language necessary. I think people just look at me and think that you know, they're chucking insult or two my way. I'm okay with it. I laugh it off. It's good fun. But we were sat around uh, the Coochie Tunnels and our tour guys looking around. And, you know, uh, the Vietnamese have a really cool way of sitting. They don't really sit, uh, but they, on the soles of their feet, or on the, they will sort of kneel down. The bum's not quite touching the floor, but it might as well be. And they're able to be in that position for a very, very long time. <laughs> now, we'd gone to replicate that because that's what the guide told us to do. And I'd gone down and you know, I'm sure both my knees clicked. And the guys just looked at me. I seen that I've got a bit of a pot belly, in all fairness. <laughs> he's just looked at me and gone, happy Buddha. <laughs> he's pointed to he's pointed to Buddha, started rubbing his uh, big stomach, the Buddha's stomach. Uh, and then looked at me and started doing the same thing. The whole group were in tears. I found it quite funny. So, yeah, for the rest of the day, I was referred to as Happy Buddha. Uh, thank you, kind Vietnamese man, for taking a piss out of my plumpness. And I still retain that to this day. But the Coochie Tunnels were, were enthralling for how people got by, how they conducted guerrilla warfare from there. Uh, and also... Uh, some of the museums we went to in Saigon as well, uh, one of the ones was about the effects of orange gas, or Asian orange, I think. Um, uh, no holds barred, basically, in, in the galleries with the, uh, the level of um, deformities that were shown. I think that they wanted to create a true representation of what uh, war was like and, and the after effects of it. I uh, can't remember the exact name of the museum, but it, it was certainly eye-opening, to say the least. That'll do for Vietnam. In the next episode, we venture over into Cambodia and Thailand, uh, where things got a bit spicy and we saw some scintillating places. So join us next week where we will leave behind Vietnam, we will leave behind Saigon, Ho Chi Minh City, and we will enter Cambodia. Until next time, I'll feel the same.